Welcome to Prisma Podcast Live. This program gives a platform for people to learn in depth about innovative initiatives at work in Jewish day schools. We're going to start with a presentation, continue with the conversation exploring the initiative and its wider implications, and end by fielding questions from the audience. Today, for the fourth and final episode of this school year, we welcome Amanda Pagani, head of school at the Luria Academy in Brooklyn. Her talk is titled, Making Diversity a Strength in a Polarized Age. After the presentation, Amanda will be joined by Josh Gold, who is the principal at the Hafter Middle School in Lawrence, New York, and the host of Prisma's podcast series, Startup Day School. Take it away, Amanda. Thanks so much, Elliot. So nice to be here. Thank you to Elliot and the Prisma team. Um, for inviting me into this conversation. I am going to spend a little bit of time sharing with you a little bit about Lurie Academy, the founding of Lurie Academy with diversity as a central core value, how diversity has evolved and the questions, how we've implemented around diversity, and then the um, some questions and some challenges that have come up for us. I hope that uh, there will be pieces to learn from. I can, I can sort of spoil the ending right now and say, we do not have all the answers. We are really in it and trying to figure them out as we go, but I look forward to doing some of that together with you. So Lurie Academy was founded in 2006. Uh, it's a preschool through eighth grade in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. Diversity runs deep in the roots of Luria. And I um, am in my 10th year as the head of school. I'm the first head of school. Uh, and I'm gonna share a little bit about the founding with you. So I wanna start with the vision around diversity at Luria. Um, this vision is really about our values, about our goals. Um, it's both aspirational and real. It has components that are aspirational, that has components that we work hard every day to really make make real. So when you choose a Luria education, you are also choosing to be part of the Luria community. Ours is a community unlike any other, a community where religious diversity is welcome and encouraged, where we commit to being kind and curious rather than exclusive and judgmental, and a community where every member stretches beyond their comfort zone because we know that there is so much more to gain from being in relationship with people who are different from us than there is to lose. So I'd like to set that as our intention for the next half hour together. In the founding of the school, diversity was really placed at the center of the institution. And as you can see from the mission and the philosophy that through our individualized approach to learning, and commitment to diversity as a core value. So diversity already is, as any good head of school will tell you, the mission is really what drives all of our work. We come back to it over and over again when there are difficult moments, difficult questions, when we're thinking about curriculum, when we're thinking about relationships, it's all about grounding us in the mission. And here, additionally, in our, in our philosophy, which comes along, which we sort of see alongside our our mission, we embrace our religious and educational differences and teach our students to engage in respectful dialogue, creating a cultural mosaic reflective of our community and the world. 
So these are really inherent to who we are as an institution. And I wanna talk a little bit about how did that come about? What does that look like? And how has it evolved over time? So our school was founded by four families um, and they themselves had diverse learners among them. So the first piece here was inclusion and was the idea that diverse learners were, were going to be welcomed and included in all aspects of the program. I'm pleased to say that that is still the case. We're an inclusion school and up to a third of our classroom are children with special needs who are fully included into the fully included into all aspects of the day. Um, the other piece of this that I think was really there from the start is the religious diversity. The founders came from very traditional backgrounds, different ones, um, and they really wanted to see a space where their kids would get a rich and sophisticated Jewish education, but without judgment. They didn't want their children to have to pretend to be one thing in school and something different at home. And they really wanted to do it in a way that was a high level Jewish education, but in a way that they didn't have to feel bad or guilty or pretend, but there was, there's no hierarchy of what's right or wrong. This is really about bringing your full self to the environment. So I would say that from the start, the pieces of diversity that were there were learning needs, religious backgrounds, economic backgrounds. They wanted it to be a place where families from all uh, finance with all financial backgrounds were able to attend, established tuition assistance early on. Um, and the other piece was geographic. They really wanted to make it so that families from all over Brooklyn could come. This was not going to be sort of a local community school, but a special and unique place where people were choosing to opt in. I would say that all of those things are still relevant and accurate today, all aspects of diversity. The pieces that have evolved over time and the pieces that we're really thinking about now and talking a lot about are around race, um, ethnicity. We think a lot about um, Sephardi and Ashkenaz. We have families coming from lots of different Sephardi backgrounds. We have some from the Syrian community. And we think about how that shows up in our education and in our community, in our community moments as well. Um, political diversity, which I think has become even more uh, highlighted over the last few years as sort of the political society outside of school becomes more polarized um, and sexual orientation. I've been thinking a lot about would the founders have sort of put these on their list or not, right? Is this actually an evolution or were these things always there? And my sense is that in spirit, you know, implicitly, I think all of these types of diversity would have been welcomed and embraced by the founders of the school. I think the, the reason sort of they're coming up right now is because they're a reality for us on the ground. I know that, you know, society is pushing to be more inclusive. And I think there's also elements of society that are pushing back on inclusivity and feeling like it's, you know, it's, it's overblown or it's too much. I really just try and focus on what's in front of me. I try and look at who is here in our community. What is our community's needs? And these sort of evolved types of diversity are the demands of our population, of our students, of our parents, of our families. And so my goal is not to worry about what's going on out there, 
but actually what's going on in front of us. We have to actively welcome and re reach out and think carefully about our curriculum and our the, the books on our shelves, right? All of this matters, the representation matters and the being explicit matters. And I would say, and I'll, I'll sort of come to this at the end, that I think that that also creates a sort of a source of tension within our community as well. So I wanna take you through a little bit about what do we do? What do we do to actually not only sort of say that diversity matters to us and that it's a core value, but actually to actively support diversity within our community. So one thing that we did a couple of years ago is we worked with our faculty um, in the design thinking process, and we came up with four commitments, the four commitments of Lurie Academy. The four commitments are, I will be kind, I will be strong, I will be curious, and I will contribute. And then we took these four commitments and we expanded them to add a statement to align with each of these for different constituencies. So our students have statements to align with each of these, our faculty and our parents have statements. And the students have them at different levels. Our preschool students have a statement that's a little bit more simple, our lower school, our upper school, and then staff and parents. I wanna give you an example of how these commitments take us through. And I'm gonna use, I will be curious because I think it's actually one of the most important ones as we think about engaging in diversity. So here's an example of, I will be curious as it takes us through the different grade levels. So for our upper levels of lower school, our second, third graders, the statement is, this means I show interest and I wonder about my learning and my surroundings. I ask questions, I listen deeply, and I'm open to new things. For our upper school students, this means I am a work in progress. I seek to better myself by continuing to grow and learn. I will pursue knowledge and understanding with openness and humility. For our staff, this means I approach children, parents, teammates, and education with an open mind, flexibility, humility, and a willingness to learn, listen and learn. And for our parents, this means I approach conversations with an open mind and a willingness to ask questions and listen deeply. So it's not enough just to have these commitments, but we actually have to do something with them. So the first thing is these commitments are up everywhere in our building. They're in every classroom. They're on multiple walls in classrooms. They're in hallways. They're in offices. Anywhere they're in faculty rooms, anywhere where we are interacting with one another as a community. They're in our faculty handbook. They're in our student handbook. They're in our parent handbook. They are everywhere. They really ground us in being in relationship with one another. At the start of the school year, we all set goals around these commitments. So I start myself as the head of school, I set my goals and I share my four commitments goals with my leadership team. And then my leadership team sets their goals and they share them with their faculty. And then their faculty sets goals and they share them with their students. And then the students set goals and share them with one another. They're in the progress reports for students so that they can be shared with parents. We are all holding each other accountable. We share them publicly so that we can say, I am inviting you to hold me accountable in my goals with one another. We use them to frame 
school policies, you know, difficult conversations, if we're struggling in relationship and dialogue, we come back to these. At the start of every year, I have a meeting with parents where I review the four commitments and I say, we're going to, we, we are going to commit to you to be in relationship with you with the four commitments at the center of that relationship. And we're going to invite you to do the same. And for us, not only creating these, but actually Actually making sure that we're continually coming back to them and grounding ourselves in them is really important work. So the, the teachers that are working with the students at the start of the year to set up their classroom experiences are going to use the commitments in lots of different ways to help students access them. Our preschoolers have a really beautiful song with the commitments, which I'm going to spare you and not sing right now, but happy to, to send it to you another time. Um, and these really are the center for us. A few other pieces, a few other topics and th ways that we commit to really grounding ourselves in diversity and also making sure it's happening. So one, this photo, one of our teachers um, who's Ethiopian is doing a, an Ethiopian coffee ceremony with her kindergarten and first graders. They're using chocolate milk, don't worry. Um, but we do a lot of trying to bring in other cultures and other ideas, especially around Jewish holidays, thinking about you know different tunes for, for songs, inviting our, our Sephardi parents to come in and our Ashkenazi to make sure that we're thinking about varying approaches to how we're learning about holidays and ritual practices. For our Sidur ceremony in first grade, our families choose from four different Sidurim, and the teachers work with the parents to choose the one that fits best for them. The four that we are choosing from right now, one is Chabad, one is um, a modern Orthodox Ashkenaz, one is a modern Orthodox Sephardi, and one is an egalitarian one. I can tell you that sometimes four is not enough. For my personal children, I choose one and then I take... Um, I photocopy from a different one and I paste it in on certain pages because I don't love all the things that are there. So while four is not enough, it has been for us what is manageable. But the beauty of it is that the teachers take the time to learn about the different Cedarim with the kids, right? It's not just implicit. Okay, we're each going to have our own Cedarim. We're going to stand in different parts of the rooms, but it's explicit. Let's learn about, oh, I'm curious about yours. What questions do we have for one another? What's different about ours? What's the same? What philo can we say together? Right? It's an it's a it's an intentional experience of bringing these things in. When we think about um, our our older kids are part of Civic Spirit, which is a program that's really teaching them to think about. Um, politics and government and the world in ways that are open and thoughtful and curious, learning to ask questions, to be in relationship and in dialogue with students from other schools, from other faith-based schools, um, to, to really start at a young age to be able to ask questions and recognize that diversity goes beyond the walls of Luria Academy. We're really thoughtful and careful about judgment-free language. We spend time in our faculty weeks before the school year starts in professional development, training our teachers, what does it mean to teach halacha, to teach Jewish law from a judgment-free place? How do you teach, how, how do you do that, right? How do you, it's all about really careful, nuanced language. So nobody feels excluded because their practice doesn't match what we're learning, but they feel invited. Our students at a young age have a Shabbat stuffed animal, a Shabbat bear that they take home with them and they keep track of what they do with Shabbat bear um, 
over Shabbat and then come back and share it with their friends. And some kids take Shabbat there to shul and don't have any photos. And some kids, you know, do other things with Shabbat there, take Shabbat there to the park to celebrate Shabbat and do have photos. And all of those things are welcome and invited for kids to feel really good about sharing their own practice. It doesn't mean that we shy away from teaching halacha and from having a sophisticated Jewish education. The opposite, we just believe we can do it without having to do it through a lens of judgment or hierarchy. We also think about things like birthday party policies and kashrut policies, but we go beyond just, you know, don't have your birthday party on Shabbat so that everybody can come. And please make sure there's kosher food so that everyone can participate. We also talk to parents about including students with special needs appropriately in birthday parties, both as a parent of that child, what do you need to do to make sure your child is gonna be set, set up for success? If it's a drop-off party, is your child able to be dropped off or do you need to make some other arrangements? Do you need to check in with the parent in advance? And the parent hosting to make sure that they're reaching out and saying, saying, I want to make sure I'm meeting the needs of all the friends in the class. What can I do to help make that easier for everyone? Another piece about implementation is always thinking about how we're growing our community and how we're being explicit. We recently put together a couple of task forces on various components of diversity that have come up for us and in thinking about, are we, are we doing a good enough job of being explicit, of representation, of making sure that these things are in our classrooms, on our bookshelves, in our curriculum. And so we invited parents and faculty and administrators who were interested to join together. And we have a, a task force on race, we have a task force on LGBTQ um, issues, and we currently have a task task force on our inclusion model as well. And it, it includes all of these different constituencies. And we invited, for each of these, we invited an expert in the field to facilitate this for us and to help us learn and to help us think together and reflect on what's been working and what hasn't been working and what do we need to do better. I will say that there is always room to grow and we really do our best to think about all aspects of parent experience. So what might people be feeling on all sides of the spectrum around these different conversations? And we try to invite these different voices into the task forces as well. We're also thinking a lot about admissions and recruitment and making sure that, that as we think about both for, for our students as well as for faculty hiring and thinking about how are we making sure that all constituencies are represented and and working hard to welcome and then to include in intentional ways. So I wanna think a little bit with you about some of the questions that I think have been sort of most prominent for us as, this, as we move through all of this and as we kind of live in this world. Um, one is about the impact of this sort of expanding diversity, definition of diversity. I think that many of our families sort of started in our school with comfort level around sort of religious diversity and learner diversity, student needs and student learning. Um, and as our community has sort of required us to expand the definition of diversity, 
how are people feeling about that, right? What does that feel like for people and people who sort of showed up and maybe were bought into certain aspects of diversity, but not others, or maybe chose the school for other reasons and the diversity was sort of on the sidelines and either they liked it or they didn't, right? So what's the impact of the expanding definition and how are we thinking about it and living it and talking about it and bringing people along with us? right? Making sure that we're really being intentional about bringing the community with us. How do we navigate, how do we as a community navigate as these terms change? You know, if people started out feeling comfortable and are they still comfortable? Are there things that are making them uncomfortable? Can we name those things? Can we talk about those things? Can we do it in ways that are curious and kind? not judgmental, right? All of these pieces, I think, are really front and center for us in terms of thinking about how we're navigating this. What do we do when supporting families in our community feels like it crosses the line for other families, their personal values and beliefs, right? People, are, people assign value and beliefs to some of these conversations. And when we talk about things like transgender students, which we have some of, right? And some families struggle with that and don't fully know what to do with it or aren't so sure what it means or how to navigate it, right? How do we talk about that in ways that still honors our students and their needs while also not, um, not pushing people away and not sort of crossing our arms and saying, either you're going to get on board or you're not, right? Because that is not, um, that's not inclusive either, right? And, and how do we weather the shifting political landscape as it becomes more polarized and conversations around diversity are politicized? I think I have felt this very strongly of um, things that I don't think used to be seen as political and now feel like they are political. Our intentions are not political, right? Our intentions are really about who's in front of us and who are we talking to and who are we working with and the students that we're supporting. And I think that it's hard to keep kind of the, the rhetoric, the frustration, the, the, um, the, the dialogue that is happening on the outside, kind of trying to keep it from coming in, coming inside to us and the work we're doing together. Um, and then some challenges that, we've seen that we've seen lately right one is I think people are significantly less willing to engage in in dialogue and a little bit less willing to be uncomfortable if you remember when we go back to the vision that I asked you to sort of come in with to this um, it was an acknowledgement that discomfort is part of this process um, and I think for varying reasons there's a little less tolerance around discomfort and that throws a wrench in the work we're doing, actually. And it and it makes it really challenging. So that's something that we're navigating and managing and thinking about. Um, I think that something that was always very unique about Luria was the edges, right? The edges of religiously, the edges politically, the, you know, and and I think people are in in thinking about this first one about sort of being less willing we're losing the edges a little bit and we're trying to think about how how do we stop losing the edges? How do we keep the edges? And it feels like there is this, this need to kind of be with people who share your values and less of a willingness 
this willingness to engage. Um, and something that I'm trying to really be reflective on is how do we move this process forward without feeling like Luria is choosing one set of values over another, right? How do we honor the experience of, of everyone in the middle and everyone on the edges? And I think um, many schools sort of have the middle diversity. And I, and I just, I wanna tr really try and hold on to the wide spectrum that we've had. And that is not as easy, I think, as it once was. Um, frameworks and boundaries that used to hold no longer do. I think some of that is around people's willingness and tolerance for, for being uncomfortable, but things that we sort of expected around how we treat each other and how we treat other people and other families and other children and our faculty and our staff, you know, some of that is kind of shifting from underneath us in ways that we weren't prepared for and are a little bit surprised about. And it's hard and actually it's it's our commitments, right? Like if we're not grounded in our commitments, then all of this falls apart. Um, and then, you know, for me, there's a real leadership challenge around this is like really maintaining the energy for this as people just feel tired. They're tired of, of all the things, you know, all the things, I don't even have to say that, right? But faculty and parents and students and administrators, and it takes real strength and real commitment um, and real vision and, and purpose to stay in this. And I think to stay in this work and, and to engage in this work. And I think that our frame has always been diversity is an opportunity. And I think it has started to feel for many more like an obstacle. And I think my greatest challenge is holding the, the community in the opportunity frame rather than moving towards the, you know, we're exhausted, we don't have the energy to overcome these obstacles anymore. Um, and so I, you know, I, I look to the founders and I look to the sort of the grounding and the core values and I wonder, you know, okay, we did this, we did it, we built this incredible community and we put all of these things in place to support it and to implement it and to make sure that everyone is heard and listened to and talks to each other and it's in the curriculum and we're intentional and we're explicit. Um, but now the world has really shifted and how do we stay in it and how do we stay explicit given really all of these challenges? One of the things that I, I just want to jump into first, there was a study that was released about five years ago, 2016. There's a study where they interviewed a whole bunch of day school leaders. And, one, and the thrust was like, what makes day school leadership, yeshiva uh, school leadership, particularly hard, maybe? And one of the examples that they gave, the, na the name of this is Leadership in Context, the Conditions for Success of Day School Leaders. If anybody wants to read it, it's a really interesting one. And one of the things that they identified was the following. They said, because yeshivas, day schools in general, tend to have very diverse parent bodies, and all these parent bodies have very strong opinions, they can impact the way we approach things. In particular, they said the Judaic Studies program. They said many parents can come in and expect students to do one page of Gemara every week. Other parents don't understand why students need to learn Gemara at all in school. And that's in a typical day school. And so it says, it says this is from the day school leaders, we are constantly having to revisit these issues. We never say that we're done. We never say that this is what it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. 
So we cannot just simply set these priorities, set it and forget it. And so one of the things that they said is sort of having a dialogue consistently around these issues and being able to sort of live with the tension that it's not fully resolved is the key to dealing with this. So I'm wondering from your perspective, Amanda, what role dialogue has in continuing the conversation, re-engaging these stakeholders in this? And if there's ever a point where it's too much dialogue, we, you know, we have to sort of settle this a little bit. What role has that played for you guys at your school? Yeah, I think we really just, we try to be listeners as much as we can be. And I try to be realistic about what we can and can't do. And so I think the first piece is always sharing both with faculty and with parents. If something feels like it's not working or something doesn't feel right, we want to know, we want to hear about it. And so all of us really try and be in a place where we're open to listening. And I do work with my leadership and with my faculty on, on actually deep listening. And what does that look like? And what does that sound like? And we practice, right? We actually practice listening. Um, and I think that's something that's super important because what, what I often find in these, especially in these challenging moments is that people just really want to be heard. So that's, that's sort of one piece of it. The other, the flip side of that is, is making sure that we're communicating our journey, right? So yes, we are constantly evolving. We are constantly thinking about and reflecting on, are we learning too much Gamara? Are we not learning enough Gamara, right? Um, and I think, and I, and I try to think about how can we share out our process, right? I think sometimes we're, we're hesitant to share our process because we want to show up as like polished or complete or, you know, we got this, you're sending us your kids and we got this, right? But I think actually inviting people into the process sends the message that not only do we have this, but we're going to continue to fight for it. We're going to continue to reflect on are we doing a good enough job, right? And I think that has come up for us. Just this year, we did a presentation on our Judaics, our approach to teaching Judaics, which I think is different than other places and new for some parents. And that raised even more questions for people, right? So sometimes you think you're trying to answer questions that ultimately it raises more questions, which then tells me, okay, we weren't clear enough on this, or maybe we need to go back to the drawing board on this. So I think as long as our lens is we're never done, right? This is just ongoing. We're going to constantly be thinking about what we're doing that's working and what we're doing that's not working. And we're going to constantly be open to hearing the feedback from people about if, if they think it's working. You know, my, my gut is like, if somebody feels like it's not working, either it's not working or I'm not communicating well enough that it is working, right? So I, I'm never going to know the answer to that unless we're listening. And so if I assume that there's always going to be feedback, the feedback is going to be constant and it's going to need to come from both directions, then it feels less daunting and less overwhelming because it's just, a, it's an expectation. What forums or spaces do you create for parents to have these types of dialogues or even to share maybe a professional development of sorts with parents so they're coming along for the journey? Yeah. So some much of this, I would say, is one on one. Um, we do have, I think, as we're coming back out of COVID life and into real life, you know, some of this had been done on Zoom, but we usually um, at the beginning of the year, we'll do like I'll do meetings with my other administrators with with each class in person, like a coffee date to kind of open things up and share what we're thinking about and to listen. There's a lot of one on one with parents, with teachers, with administrators. Um, there are 
we, we do try and share out what the professional development is that our teachers are doing so that parents know kind of what we're working on as a team. And we also try and bring professional development to parents. You know, we've been doing a lot of work on uh, on digital citizenship, and we've invited in people to experts to work with our faculty and with our parents around these conversations this year. Um, so, so I would say that is part of that is part of that. Also, there's there's letters and emails and 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 those kind of communications. Um, we we have done some sort of town hall style where like we'll share out either about different visions and really just try and open things up for questions and try and respond to questions in real time as well. Um, I haven't done a lot of um, town hall kind of thing where it's just sort of open forum and let everyone sort of say what they want to say and raise all of their challenges, honestly, because I've never found it to be particularly successful um, or productive. I imagine that, and, and I, I have heard from parents that that sometimes feels frustrating. Like, why don't we just take a topic and just sort of open it up and let it all go? Uh, but I do try and get get to the meat of what would have come up in those things, you know, in kind of uh, in other ways. And, and the other piece I would just say to go back to sort of where I started this is that we try and do all of this in a place that is grounded in our mission. So when we invite feedback and when we listen and when we respond, we are, we know who we are as an institution. And I, I'm trying to be really clear with parents, you know, who say to me, well, I want it to look like this. And I say, you know what, I'm really sorry, but we are never going to look like that because that is just not who we are as an institution. I'd love to get you on board and I'd love to keep you with me and I'd love to help you see why, but we're just, we're not going to make that shift. And I think that that for me also, and for our staff, um, it feels better. It feels grounded and it feels grounding as we engage in sometimes challenging conversations. Right. It sounds like you do a tremendous job of um, communicating a vision of diversity and communicating a vision of values uh, for the school. I'm wondering, it, it sounds to me like there's real clarity around uh, the, you know, the value of embracing diversity, uh, diversity of many different types, thought, background, um, is there explicit instruction for students and faculty and parents around why we embrace diversity, what the value is and why that's important? And not only from like sort of a utilitarian standpoint, but sort of from a, an actualization standpoint, the why of why we embrace diversity. Yeah, um, that's such a nice question, actually, and probably something we don't talk about enough, right? I think I think this is an implicit explicit question and are we being explicit about, enough about it? I think I think the kindness and the community piece are really um, are really at the center of that, right? I think we we do talk to kids a lot about being in community with one another um, and being in relationship with one another. And we also talk to parents and to faculty about that. And I think that for us that's really the why if we're going to successfully be in relationship and be in authentic relationship with each other, then we have to be open to what everyone brings with them. We talk a lot with our, um, with our staff about really sort of bringing their full selves. We, we're, we're big Brene Brown fans and we talk, she talks about the rumble, right? When something feels off and you just have to really rumble about it. Um, it's actually in our faculty. Like we, we have a, um, 
like in our faculty sort of guidelines for how we we call it our playbook, right? For how we relate to one another and how we work with one another. And I think the why of that is authenticity, right? If we're actually going to successfully be a community and be in relationship with one another, we have to we have to be be honest and we have to be willing to rumble and we have to do that from a place of curiosity and respect. Um, but the other piece I would say that we talk about with our faculty in relation to our students is that we believe that we're growing a generation of, of children who are gonna be better at this than their parents are. At least I hope they are, right? And I think for us, there is a, an aspirational piece that what we're giving them as very young children now will really carry with them and hopefully make the world a better place. And I know that sort of sounds, you know, somehow trite, but actually it's real. And I, and I believe that much of our fact, it's, this is hard work and you don't, you don't do it if you, if you don't believe in it, right? Like working in a place where values are, are sort of, you know, there's always going to be diversity, but this kind of diversity and this kind of diversity are very, or even beyond where my screen will let me go, right? Are very different. And I think this type of diversity is, is hard, hard work. And you only do it if you really believe that it's making a difference. And I, I really hope it is. Are, are teachers taught, like, are there opportunities to be able to point to like exemplary, you know, e- exemplars of embracing diversity instances where I felt a certain way, but then when I was able to incorporate mm-hmm. and understand the perspectives of others, I was much more, much not only richer, but in a better place to be informed and understanding and all this stuff. Is there, what role do exemplars potentially play in the pedagogical process of all of this? I know that our our staff does a lot of sort of using models out in the world that that sort of model this in in history and science lessons in terms of thinking about this. Um, I would, I'll share one sort of experience from this year that was very challenging and I think maybe got some people to where this is, we, we really struggled a lot with um, the question around mandating vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, a large percentage of our parent body was really pushing and, you know, we have to do it. It's urgent. We have to do it. And a percentage of our parent body was saying, you know, we don't want this and you should not do this. Um, and ultimately, I had to look at the mission and the way that we approach all difficult questions around diversity. Um, and it was a long, long journey. There was a lot of, there were a lot of, com- I had a lot of conversations and town halls. There was a community forum that sort of really exploded. And there was a lot of, there were things that were not aligned with the four commitments in terms of how people were talking to each other about this. Um, and ultimately, when I sat with my when I sat with my board and my own personal coach, who like really I really talked about, I I sort of said, you know, I have to do this. Like we have to go on this journey the same way we go on every other one, which is honoring parents and their decision making. And you know, I do I see public health as a sort of a different different thing and we did end, end up mandating it for our staff and that had its own challenges but but ultimately sort of the framework and the grounding of how we do things and how we proceed as a community 
really guided us on this, you know, throughout this process. And I tried to be honest and explicit about that also, and give insight into sort of the work we were doing with our medical committee and our board and our faculty and talking about this. Um, and I, I, I think there's a lot of people still mad at me on all sides of things, but I feel like that's how you know you're doing it right, right? When you have the same, the equal number of people mad at you on either side of the spectrum. And so, um, but, but I feel good I, I feel good that we were transparent and we were honest and we went on this journey that that really honored sort of where we had been and where we were going. Yeah. And and throughout the process, I mean, listen, healthcare, healthcare workers, clergy, and school leaders have been some of the hardest professions to navigate through COVID. Obviously, there are many others too, but leading a school through the past few years has been extremely challenging. And hindsight so often gives us, oh, I, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish we could have done this, whatever it is, right? And you mentioned at the end of your presentation that leaders often are very tired right now and leadership teams are tired and teachers are tired. Winston Churchill famously said that real leadership is being able to go from failure to failure without losing any enthusiasm. How have you approached that as the person who sets the tone for your building, the person who sets the tone for your team? How have you been able to deal with this over the past few years, adding the diversity I don't say I don't issue, but the diversity dynamic into it as well. How have you been able to maintain your enthusiasm? Yeah, Josh, I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs) That is the honest truth. Um, I think the bottom line there is that it's been a roller coaster, um, right? There have been moments where I have been able to maintain enthusiasm, and moments where I've had to ask for a lot of help. And I think that I think that for me, just sort of really saying out loud, I need help or I'm struggling to my board, to my, you know, administrative staff, and also inviting other people to do the same, right? I have said so many times at the end of every meeting, or at the beginning of every meeting, this seems hard, how can I help? And I think that my saying that over and over again, even when I'm not in a place to offer help in the moment, um, has encouraged others to do the same. And I hear my administrators saying it to their faculty, and I hear my faculty saying it to their students, and I hear my board saying it to me, right? And I think the um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember listening to um, a podcast, the Harvard Business Review idea, idea cast I was listening to a lot. And one of the things they talked about was like, this is, um, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon actually. And so we have to stop running it like it's a sprint. I don't even think back then they knew how long the marathon would be. I sure didn't. Um, and then one of the things they talked about is like the oxygen mask piece and how are we supporting each other and how are we helping each other? I definitely failed at the like putting on my own oxygen mask first. I have been terrible at that. Um, but the, the asking for help and the like really committing to, to saying what we need and when we've had enough, I think has probably kept us going. Um, and there have been really hard moments and I think continue to be. If you could go back and sort of like approach, you know, your school development uh, 10 years ago, if you could speak to yourself 10 years ago, right? Um, how would you, you know, what would you tell yourself lessons you've learned about maybe how you might approach things differently, how you might the same? And I guess the second question sort of within that is, if I'm a school who is not Luria and diversity is not the core of what we are and all of these different things, but I still see it as a value to bring to my school, 
are there ways that I can take a little bit of what Loria does that's so special and bring it into my school that doesn't maybe follow the same model? I'm not sure if those questions are connected. Yeah. Those, are, those are the last two I have. Yeah. So I think for the, for the second, I think, I think it's actually probably a similar answer, which is I think that what I have learned in 10 years of doing this is that um, re- really trusting and grounding yourself in the mission is actually is a gift and it's safe and it's okay. Right. And having hard conversations is okay. Um, and is not only okay, but it's necessary. And I think that's also the lesson for beyond is that we're not going to have all the answers and the answers are going to be hard and people are going to be uncomfortable. And I think the more we can say that out loud, I want you here. I want you as part of this community. You add value and I'm not always going to be able to give you exactly what you want, right? But that doesn't mean that I don't value you. It doesn't mean that I don't hear you. And I have gotten so much better at saying that and saying it in a way that's honest because it is, right? And I think I would have said it more I would have said it earlier, right? The like the lessons, the learning, the taking away. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of pretend that we're something we're not. And I don't want to pretend that we're not going to have hard conversations or that things aren't going to come up in sixth grade health class that are going to make some parents uncomfortable about how we how we treat it and how we approach it. Like, let's talk about it. Let's dig in and let's make sure that all of us have a framework for how to do it in a respectful way. And so I think that's it, right? Diversity is coming for all of us, whether we're ready or not, and whether we think it should be or not. And I think the point there is let's be clear on who we are, on what our grounding values are as institutions, on how we're communicating those, how we're opening up and listening about those and what are the frameworks that are going to help us do it in ways that are productive and are inclusive rather than sort of shutting things down or making people feel like they want to walk away, right? Let's invite, let's see it as opportunity and let's dig in from a place of strength. Thank you so much. I, not only for this, but also, you know, I, I had the privilege of visiting your school uh, a, a few years ago, I think right before COVID. I, and uh, it was really a tremendous experience. Very special work that you do there. Uh, I should continue to do it. Thank you again for the presentation. Thank you, Thank you Elliot and uh, all Prisma for providing the space again. I mean, thanks for thanks for another great job of uh, engaging in in the issues here. So uh, now again, um, anybody who would like, please uh, shoot me some uh, a question in the chat. I'm happy, and we already have we have some uh, great ones already. So um, first one is about uh, the question of diversity. It's often thought of as um, a liberal value, rightly or wrongly. Uh, even a kind of buzzword at times. Um, how do you make how do you make diversity work and be embraced by families who are not coming from that perspective? Yeah. So I think actually, interestingly, I'm not sure that I always that 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 those two things sort of linked together have always been the case. I think of late, those two things are, are linked together. Um, and I, I, my my real like response is to make it about us, not about them, right? Meaning that, you know, when a a parent comes to me concerned or upset about a conversation we're having on diversity, I really try and focus it on our community, right? I am focused on the people in front of me right now and making sure that everyone in our community feels 
represented, feels supported, feels heard, is getting what they need. And it does mirror what's happening out in the world, right? But I'm not doing it for the sake of what's happening in the world, even though some would push me to say, maybe I should be. And maybe even on a personal level, I probably think that I should be, right? But my mission is not Amanda Pogani's mission. It's Lurie Academy's mission. And I think Lurie Academy's mission is to say, we are looking at our community. It often reflects the cultural mosaic that is the world, as it you know, says beautifully in our philosophy. Um, but, but that's really what I do. I had a very frustrated parent about some a specific issue that came up and they were causing a whole bunch of problems chatting with other parents and finally we sat down and I I said look this is not about politics or about you know this is about one child who wants a Jewish education who is in our school and we are going to focus on making sure that this child feels included and that's what this is going to be about right now and people can make all sorts of meaning about it but that's where we're going to be. And that's where we're going to ground ourselves. I hope, I hope that that is sort of the common ground that's going to allow us to, to get a little bit stronger around all of this. But for now, that's where I'm living. I'm really just trying to live in who are we and what are the issues in front of us? Another question. Um, interested to know whether you have buy-in from faculty, Ray Diversity. I'd love to say everyone on our faculty is on board, but that's just not the case. We struggle with some faculty expressing their personal views behind closed doors. Is this something you've had to navigate, bringing staff onto the same page? And if so, what were your strategies? It's a great question. I think the answer is always there are degrees of this, right? There are degrees. I think that there's many faculty who would feel that we're not pushing hard enough, and there's other who would feel that we're pushing too hard in all sorts of directions. Um, I think being really explicit about why we're doing what we're doing and what our mission is and how it sort of lives in our community with faculty also. I try to be really explicit during the hiring process to say, are you comfortable with this? And are you comfortable with this, right? We've been doing that since the beginning of, of, of Luria in terms of hiring Judaics faculty, right? We are gonna ask, we need Judaics faculty who are gonna teach at very high levels but we need them to not think this is a Kiruv project where we're trying to get people to practice Judaism differently, right? We say, however you come is how you'll go home in terms of religious practice. And we, and we need to be explicit and say, are you comfortable with this, right? You need to be in a place where you're going to be able to do things the way that we want to do them and that way we feel we need to. So I think a lot of dialogue with faculty, a lot of being explicit, and also some professional development with faculty as well in terms of understanding what does this look like and how do we talk about it? Um, I think getting faculty to talk to each other and also supporting faculty in how, right? I think the being curious and being kind are not just conversations we're having with the students, uh, how we relate to students and how we relate to parents, but how we relate to one another. So I think setting a lot of expectations, talking again, talking a lot um, and also knowing being really explicit from the beginning of the relationship with faculty. This is who we are as an institution. And this is the work we're doing. You don't have to agree with all parts of it. You know, I actually had a couple of years ago, someone on my leadership team 
give me feedback that they were feeling a little bit uncomfortable. It was during an election cycle and there were a lot of big feelings. I was having them also. Um, and I think I didn't do a good enough job of holding space for everyone to feel safe. And I was so grateful for the feedback. I really heard it. And I still reflect on it today in terms of how am I showing up and, and the setting the tone for the, for the work that we're going to do. We want diversity of opinions and values and beliefs. Otherwise, it, right? It's not rich. It's not, it's not useful. It's not helpful. And it doesn't push us or challenge us in any way if we all think the same and feel the same way. So I think we have to sort of be willing to reflect and listen to the feedback also. Michael Liss uh, has a question, which is too long to put in, but he would like to ask. So I invite him now. Amanda, thank, thanks. Uh, and Elliot, thanks for letting me sneak this in here. So we're, we have a community day school, you know, K through 12. And so we've got Orthodox, non-Orthodox. We have to make everybody happy. So um, I don't know if you're in the, I, I didn't get, are you in the same situation where you have Orthodox and non-Orthodox? And we then, have very, very Orthodox and very non-Orthodox. Yeah. Okay, great. So that's great. So it's a similar situation. So that's the thing that we're struggling with the most. What are the biggest struggles that you're seeing bringing those two together what are some strategies to do it and because our we'll see our market share to put it crudely in the non-orthodox community is so low how do you target the non-orthodox community because our market share with the orthodox community is actually very high i feel like we need an hour for this one but i'll do my best to give you a two-minute version one is i think the sh i think there's maybe a shift from making everybody happy to engaging everyone in the process, right? I think our frame of like, we are going to do this, we're going to put it out for you and either you're going to be happy or you're not going to be happy sends a message of you're going to get what all of what you want or you're going to get none of what you want. And I think maybe the frame actually is we are a community, no matter where you're coming from, and we're going to be in community together and our children are going to be in school together what are the ways that we can engage with one another and think together about how to make this work, right? So I might think about small focus groups or engaging parents or engaging community rabbis and, and asking those questions. What are your negotiables and what are your non-negotiables? Where are you willing to be uncomfortable, right? If the value is we are going to be in community together and that's the most important then there is no you're happy, you're unhappy all the time, right? What, what actually needs to happen is how are we going to do this together and work on this together to honor everyone who's here so that all of us at times are going to feel comfortable and at times going to feel uncomfortable. I think the mistake we often make is saying we are going to make you happy or this is going to be the exact right place for you all of the time, right? I think let's frame it as can we work together? Can we be in dialogue together? And can we help each other to be as inclusive a community as possible, where people are comfortable, are as comfortable as they can be, and where they know that there are going to be uncomfortable moments? And what are they going to do during those uncomfortable moments, right? So that they're not going to whisper underneath their breath to their friends or rally everyone to rise up against the head of school, but actually are there productive ways of sharing discomfort and working through the discomfort together as a community? 
hope that gives a little bit of a, a, so a great, a great message to end on. Um, thank you so much, Amanda, for really all the work you do, Kolakavod, and uh, with a very diverse community and um, really uh, enlightening us about so many things about how to do this work. And uh, I wish you much uh, strength and fortitude and uh, renewal moving forward. Thank you all for being on 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 the on the call and we I'll repeat again we're going to be sharing a podcast and the Facebook live very soon please join us next year for a new season of podcast live and with that have a great day thank you so much elliot